will you pray with me this morning? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship you in this place, will you fill our hearts and our minds and our souls with that idea that it's only in Christ that we can be who you've made us to be, that we can face the issues that we face, that we can rejoice in the way that you'd have us rejoice when we just remember that it's just Christ, that that's what we need to put at the center of every single thing that we are and do in life. Lord, we're grateful that you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you, that you love us so much, you sacrifice so much so that we could be your people. Lord, continue to fill us this morning. Fill our hearts with your love. We thank you for who you are. We lift these things up and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Fairfax, and welcome. If you're watching the great room or in the hangar, we're glad you're here. And if you're home online, welcome. Hey, we got a lot going on around here. And the first thing coming up this Wednesday, the 25th, is our next night of worship. So if you haven't had a chance to come join us for those, it's an incredible night. We're gonna be in here around seven o'clock, just worshiping hard. If you have kids that are from birth to pre-K, we will have childcare available, but limited space there. So go online and register now. And from five to seven, we're gonna have a block party beforehand. So if you remember last time, unfortunately we had to move it inside, but the weather looks good. So we're gonna have some games outside. We'll have a food truck and a lot of fun. You've had this food truck. You've tried this. this it's food. incredible barbecue. The ribs are great. And so it's Ronnie approved. It is definitely Ronnie approved. I'm there. Okay, I'm there. Um, next weekend, May 29th, um, is our service of blessing of the children. And if you've been thinking about bringing your kids forward, um, to just take a stand and say, I'm going to raise my kids according to what God has to say. Um, this is an incredible opportunity to do that, not only for you to stand, but for us to stand with you um, as a congregation and walk alongside you with that. If you're interested in doing that, you want to get some more information about that, you can go on the website and sign up and get some more information. It's real easy to do. And then on uh, the 5th of June, we're going to have our next baptism weekend, which is just an incredible time around here to celebrate lives being changed. If this is something that you've been thinking about doing for a while, or if this is just something new to you, we would love to come alongside you, answer any questions you have. If you have kids and weren't able to make it to the uh, baptism workshop, that's okay. Our Fairfax Kids team would love to connect with you and just spend some time with your kids as well. So you can always visit us, uh, fairfax.cc slash baptism for more information. Every single thing that we can do um, in this community and around the world is because of the generous giving by this congregation. First of all, thank you for your generosity to um, the mission of this church. We are grateful for that um, and we appreciate it. If you have been thinking about doing that, you haven't quite jumped in and you want to do that super easy, um, you can put it in an envelope and drop it in the back in the, in the boxes that are back there. There's a QR code around the church that helps you get to that um, site to give and on our website. So um, if you're thinking about doing that, we appreciate it and it's real easy to do. Um, last thing we want to let you know about is that yesterday was our global 5K. Raise your hand if you ran the global 5K. There's a lot of people here. It's great to see that you're like, you're still with it because it was like 375 degrees yesterday. When we were running that. It was crazy, but we're glad that you did that. Um, this year, um, we ran the global 5K um, to help one of our newest global partners, Children of Promise. And two of the directors of Children of Promise are here today. You're going to get to hear from them. But first, if you would just um, turn your attention to the screens. 
Hola do Brasil, e obrigado por tornar totalidade possível. Today we are coming to you from Brazil. We are here this week to do some training and to meet new volunteers and a new director for our brand new program for Children of Promise in the country of Brazil. We're so excited to be here to launch this new program in our 31st country for CFP. So the 5K that we ran yesterday was um, the registrations that uh, helped to kind of fund that, helped to start this new uh, project in Brazil. And uh, so thank you so much for that. Uh, I am really excited today to have uh, Mike Webb, who's the executive director of Children of Promise, and Kyle Hayes, who is the Director of Development for Children of Promise here in our service. And uh, very cool that they came out, were part of the 5K, uh, ran the 5K, survived the 5K yesterday, all of that. And uh, I wanted them to come up and just to kind of just give you a little bit more information about Children of Promise, amazing organization. I've watched these guys in their leadership over the years in a number of different roles that they have been in. These are two of our best in terms of leaders and the fact that they have now come together and, uh, and are part and their families are a part of leadership with Children of Promise. Uh, some things are happening that have never happened before, which just are incredibly exciting. So would you welcome Mike and Kyle to the platform, Fairfax. Welcome, guys. Uh, we're so glad that you're with us. So I, I just the first question I just want to ask is about just the sponsorship uh, program that Children of Promise does. I know that there's a lot of organizations that do that, probably some folks that sponsor some kids through some other organizations. But there's some, there's some different things about the way Children of Promise works that I think make it unique. And Mike, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, it's actually the differences are what really, I think, cause us to love what we do so much. And yeah. it's, it's because the way that Children of Promise operates, kind of different from some other sponsorship organizations, is we work very directly, intimately, personally, relationally with local congregations who are extending care to the sponsored children themselves. So rather than setting up a, a Children of Promise office, a foreign office in a, in a local village around the world, um, we just develop a relationship with local congregations, the lay leaders, the pastors in those places, and we help to resource them through the sponsorship funds that come from sponsors. And, and through that, those local leaders in their congregations are making sure that those kids get education and that they get good food to eat and, and quality nutrition, health care, and that they're discipled in that local family. So it's just a very relational, very hands-on uh, type of approach where these leaders really, really know the children and their families and the situations that they live in. Yeah, which is an amazing strategy because, for so many reasons, because one, it puts the church at the center yeah. of what is happening, which kind of lives out our idea of what the church is supposed to be about Absolutely. anyway. Uh, it, it means that there are potential offices in almost every place in the world, every place where the church is, there's the potential for leadership there. And it taps yeah. into some amazing leadership in the church as yeah, well. We're, yeah. we're growing into new countries all the time. We're in conversation with three new programs after Brazil. 
uh, to start wow. hopefully within the next year. And um, le- actually, one of the things that Kyle likes to say is that it's really a leadership pipeline for the church because these kids are growing up uh, witnessing the lives of the people who are investing in them and wanting to be like them. You know, they're becoming pastors and teachers. And uh, we have students who are doctors and nurses and college professors, and they want to emulate the lives that they see uh, in the people who are extending care to them. So it's wonderful. Yeah. Kyle, I know there uh, is a number of ways, and as you deal with development and communication and all of that, a lot of ways for folks to get connected to children of promise today out in the lobby if they're here. But if they're watching online uh, or after this, there's lots of ways to stay connected. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So many ways, Rod. Thank you. And I just want to start by saying a huge thank you to Fairfax Church, to the leadership for being a part of this, this journey we're on of making wholeness possible around the world. Because of the 5K yesterday, dozens of children in small towns you may or may not have ever heard of are going to have access, access to healthcare, access to regular food for them and their family, and education, which we all know is the key to their future of them and for their community. We like to say that um, we're empowering whole communities through their children. And you're part of that. So thank you, Fairfax, for joining us on this journey. And as one of your newest partners in global work, uh, we are so thrilled about that. We are pumped because we believe that God is opening new doors, as Mike has mentioned. And we don't want to just be some random organization you hear about like once a year. We want to get to know you. We, like, we believe in being friends with our church partners. So we want to get to know you through social media. Follow us at C of P Global on Instagram and Facebook. In fact, we already got a few, so it's getting competitive. But if you follow us today, I'm gonna pick some winners. We're gonna send you some merch for following us this week and while we're here at the church. So get in on that. In fact, I wanna give Rod one of our new runner hats. All right. There's, we limited run of these. And uh, one hat, yes, yes, thank you. Yeah. He didn't know he was gonna be modeling, but he did a great job. <laughs> uh, one hat provides one month of wholeness for a kid on our waiting list. So Thanks for that, Rod. And yeah. so follow us on social media, and we want to know, want you to know that you can travel with us. We visit every kid every three years, and we take guests, sponsors with us to help interview the kids. And when you follow us on social media, you'll hear way more about this stuff and how you can sponsor kids like Happiness here. Yes, that's her name. And, uh, and she'll be out here at the table. We have 13 kids left. We're looking to get sponsored. Wow. So help us hit that goal of 50 today for Fairfax. And we just want to get to know you and hang out. Come see us at the table. Let's get to know each other, and let's travel the world together. Yeah, and, and you have something at Children Promise called Advocates. And uh, Mike, what is, what is an advocate and how can folks, if they're interested in that, get involved in that here at Fairfax? Yeah, um, we've developed this new program called Advocates Training, uh, really in an effort to build a bigger team, a more well-resourced team, a broader team with expertise of different people around the United States. Um, who can just help us to continue the work into the rest of the world. We've been fortunate over the last few years with our our wives and leadership um, to really see some great expansion, but it's expanding at a rate that we can't keep up with it. Um, And so we need a great team of people who will travel with us, who will advocate on our behalf in other churches, who will host events like the 5K yesterday, who will travel on our behalf even internationally to interview kids and to check in with directors and encourage and support them. So we want to build a team, and our advocates are going to be that team. We've been doing trainings around the United States over the last few months. We've got several more throughout the rest of this year. We're just kind of getting started in that. So over the next year, we're going to continue to build on that and build on that until we get a great host of people who can help us to, to continue to, to see God work all over the world. And you're going to do advocate training today, today right, after right after this after service. service. And so that is going to be lunch that's provided. Yep. And then a two-hour 
uh, training process. And my understanding is that as you build out this kind of amazing organization and the capacity, because when you're really talking about the personal connectedness that you value so highly, two people, four people simply cannot do that. So these advocates potentially are representing Children of Promise and going to some of these sites and connecting in some really powerful ways. Yeah, Yeah. that's so awesome. So that's right after this service. I think it's back and people can meet you out in the lobby uh, right where the table is out there and then people can get connected to that. All right, very cool. Thank you guys for being with us today. Would you show your appreciation to Mike? Thank you so much. Kyle. Yeah, thanks man. All right, whoever catches this. That was like really sad, wasn't it? Yeah, that was super sad. <laughs> I saw that going much further when I, when I let go of it. All right, so we're in the third week of the series uh, on the book of Ephesians. And as I share, just to give you a little context again, and we're trying to do this every week, just we know that folks are kind of tuning in at different points, but just to give you a little context that Ephesus is, is located in what is now uh, modern-day Turkey. It's not a city there. There's the ruins that are left from Ephesus. But in its day, like in its time, like it was, it was the New York City. It was the Tokyo. It was the Mexico City. It was the big city in that area and really in the world. It was the center of commerce and the center of education, the center of philosophy and the center of religion and, and all, all kinds of things. Like it was the place... To be. And so Paul, who was incredibly strategic in his church planting, it was no coincidence where he went because he wanted to go with pla- to places that were uh, highly influential so that the gospel, if it got rooted there, would probably go from there into other locations. That's exactly what happened. So he went to Ephesus, preached the gospel. A lot of people became followers of Jesus. Churches got started in Ephesus and and around uh, Ephesus in that region. And he was there for several years. And then a number of years later, when Paul was imprisoned uh, by the Roman government, he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus, which was probably uh, circulated to other churches that were in the area that it would be read in all of those churches. And that's what we have come to know as the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians, as I mentioned the first week, is divided into kind of two parts. The first part is really focused on the gospel story, like what God has done through Christ. And Jess, I thought, did just an amazing job last week unpacking the first part of chapter two in Ephesians and talking about like what that gospel story looks like and the impact it has on our life. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians are like really, really super practical. It's like, it's like how does the gospel story impact our story? How does it impact uh, our relationships and our families and our marriages and the way that we steward our bodies and all of that? Like, what is the impact? So that's why we've called this series God's Story and Our Story, because God's story impacts our story. Now, with all that, it's not that when you read the book of Ephesians that there's not theological stuff that's in the back half of the book. And it's not that there is not practical stuff that's in the first half of the book. And the text that we're going to look at today, which is in chapter two, is just a really great example of that. Today we're looking at Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22. And it's this passage 
that is laser focused on how the gospel should transform the way that we relate to people who are deeply different than we are, like especially in the church, how the church should be filled with people who on the surface, you look at it and you go, this doesn't make any sense. Like these people should not be hanging out with each other. These people should not be together, but they are in the church that in a way the church should be like a deeper, more spiritual version of a Harley Davidson rally. Like when you go to a Harley rally, has anyone ever been to a Harley rally? Yeah, two of you. Okay. Like when you go to a Harley rally, you see all these people who look like they shouldn't be hanging out together. Like you see mechanics and construction workers hanging out with doctors and lawyers. It's super weird. You see people who are incredibly wealthy hanging out with people who are just kind of getting by. You see grandmas and grandpas like me hanging out with 20-somethings. You see people who have tattoos all over their bodies and piercings in places where you didn't even think it was possible to have a piercing hanging out with people who have never gotten within five miles of a tattoo part. Like you see all of that. And the answer to the question, like why are all these different people hanging out together is their love of Harleys. That all of them love Harleys. They love something so much that it supersedes all of their differences. And Paul is saying that should be true for the church. Like that should be true for the church. Our love for Jesus should supersede like all of our differences and create this supernatural community that reflects the kind of radical unity that the world has, has never seen that is different than culture. You can't translate, kind of the theme that runs through this whole passage and this whole message is you cannot transform culture if you look like culture. And that God's vision of the church is this countercultural movement that, that reflects a kind of radical unity that you just don't see in culture and has the potential, because it's so different than culture, has the potential to transform culture. In fact, Paul uses three different metaphors to describe the unity that should be seen in the church. And all three of the metaphors are found in the last four verses of chapter two. He says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people. That's the first metaphor, fellow citizens. You're fellow citizens with God's people. Members of God's household, that's the second metaphor. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. That's the third metaphor, this building that's joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the first thing that Paul says is that in the church, we are fellow citizens with God's people. Now this week, we just celebrated two of our staff, Elsie and Naomi, who became citizens, just became citizens of the United States. And I think we have a picture of Elsie and Naomi. And can we just celebrate that first of all? Just the fact they became citizens. And, and, and that's a big deal. Like some of you have been through that process like that is a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is because citizenship matters. There are rights and privileges and responsibilities that come with citizenship. Um, just as an aside, one of the things that we did as a part of the celebration is we got 
some members of our staff who have been citizens of the United States, like I think for most of them, their whole lives. And uh, we made them answer some of the questions or we gave them some of the questions that Elsie and Naomi had to answer to become citizens. And we wanted to see how good they were at answering those questions. And, and uh, I'll just say this, I want to be kind, but I just say this, that it's a really good thing they were already citizens of the United States because not, not so good, not so good in their answers, you know, but citizenship matters. Like it's a big deal. And what Paul is saying is that not only are we citizens of a country, that if we're in Christ, we have another citizenship in Philippians two or three twenty, Paul describes it as a heavenly citizenship. So not only do we have an earthly citizenship, we have this heavenly citizenship. It's a citizenship that not only unites us with God, but it unites us with every single person on the planet who is also a follower of Jesus Christ. It unites us with every person who's a part of the global church, every person who's a part of the local church, every person who's a part of Fairfax, like it unites us with every one of them. Secondly, Paul says that in the church, we are members of God's household. In other words, we are members of God's family. Which means that every person in the world who's a follower of Jesus is your brother or your sister. And just like with your, some of you are going, well, that's not necessarily a good thing, but here's the deal. Like, just like with your family of origin, you may not always like your brother or your sister. You may be driven crazy by your brother or sister at times, but they are family and you're united with them, whether you like it or not, you are united to them for your whole life. I, I grew up in a church that really leaned in, I've talked about this before, leaned into this kind of idea that we're a family, it's the family of God, we're connected, we're brothers and sisters, to the point that um, all the adults, they didn't do it with the kids, but with the adults, every adult would refer to someone else as brother and sister. So you weren't Rod or Kyle or Jessica, you were brother Rod and brother Kyle and sister Jessica, or your last name, you were, you were brother Stafford or brother Cooper or sister Eitbluck. Like, and my mom loved this uh, because, but as a kid, I gotta tell you, I thought it was, I just thought it was weird, okay? But, uh, but that, like the idea was we're all family and my mom loved it because her first name was Orel, which she never liked her, or actually her first middle name, Orel Elvesta, which uh, I, I thought is beautiful, but like I've never heard it anywhere before. And she didn't like her name, but in the church, she wasn't Orel Elvesta. In the church, she was Sister Stafford. And she loved that, that, that there was kind of this family kind of connection that was reinforced. So Paul says that the other way that we're connected is that we're just, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Thirdly, Paul says that in the church, we're like living stones in a building, living stones in a building that's becoming a holy temple of the Lord and a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's saying that in the church, there should be such unity in the church, such oneness in the church that we are like blocks 
building blocks that have been cemented together to create this holy thing that God is building. That, and you can't get more unified, like blocks that have been cemented together to create this thing. Like he's saying, that's how unified, that's the oneness that we should have in the church. Now, sadly, you know, and oftentimes, like the vision that God has for our lives, the vision God has for the church isn't always the vision that we live out. We're not always faithful to that. And this is certainly one of those areas where sometimes we're just not faithful to the vision that God has for the church. Sometimes we are not this supernatural community of radical unity that God has created us to be. Sometimes we look a lot more like culture than maybe we want to look like culture. We live in a culture and I know that you know this. We live in a culture that is deeply divided. Maybe more divided than I have ever seen culture in my lifetime. Just a deeply divided culture. We're divided racially. We're divided politically. We're divided over almost every single issue. Like even issues that you didn't think it was possible to be divided over. Like issues that you thought, oh, well, no, this won't be kind of a divisive issue. This is just about this, or this is just about this. Like no one can be divided. Even the issues that you, you thought you could never be divided over, somehow in our culture, we become divided over. In fact, I am convinced that some families or people will be divided over a sermon over unity. Like so, you know, people will go home and go, what'd you think about the sermon? I thought it was really great. And someone else will go, I thought it was terrible. And you'll be divided over like a sermon about, you know, like we in our culture find a way to be divided over almost everything. It's just kind of the culture that we live in. And sometimes, sometimes when the culture looks at the church, like they don't see this supernatural community that's committed to radical unity, that sometimes they see a community that's just as divided as the rest of culture. So how does the church like live out the unity that God has called us to live out? Like how do we actually live as the household of faith? How do we actually live as the building blocks that have been cemented together? How do we actually live as citizens of common fellow citizens of God's family. Like, how do we actually live that out? Where Paul tells us in the first part of this passage. And I'm just gonna read the whole passage, then we'll kind of reflect on it. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcised, the uncircumcised were the Gentiles, the circumcised were the Jews, both of whom were in the church, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time, talking to the Gentiles, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two, talking about, in this case, talking about Jews and Gentiles in the church, has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We're gonna talk about what the dividing wall of hostility was. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose, Jesus' purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new man out of two, 
Talking again about the division within the church between Jews and Gentiles. Thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those of you who were far away, talking about the Gentiles, and to those of you who were near, talking about the Jews. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. Okay, that's a really thick passage of scripture, some pretty deep theology there. And it's kind of hard to understand until you realize that Paul is actually giving us a case study, a real case study that shows us what unity looks like and what makes it possible. And the real life case study is the conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles in the church. In the church in Ephesus and and in the entire region, there were both Jews, individuals who were raised Jewish but had embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as their Messiah. And there were Gentiles, non-Jews, who had also embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the main source of their conflict was actually something that was very good. It was the law. It was the Mosaic law. Uh, Paul refers to the law as this dividing wall of hostility. Now, that's really weird on so many levels and odd on so many levels because the law was actually, the Mosaic law, the law was actually a very, very good thing. It was intended to give guidance to how one could live their life in such an attractive way that others would be drawn to their lives because living their life according to the law would be so attractive that others would be drawn to it. It was actually given to the Jews so that they would live their lives in such an attractive way that Gentiles would be drawn to the law, would be drawn to that life, would be drawn ultimately to God. But that's not what happened. The law, which was spiritual and good, actually became something that divided people. And Jews began to despise, began to have hostility towards Gentiles because they didn't have the law. And, and, and uh, that they had the law and the Gentiles didn't have the law. So the Gentiles were unclean because they didn't have the law. And that starts to build this dividing wall of hostility between the two. And, and the Gentiles despised the Jews. They despised them. They had hostility towards them because they felt like the law created this sense of superiority among the Jews that made them feel like they were better Christians than them. They felt like the message that was coming from the Jews is like, okay, yeah, maybe technically you prayed the prayer. Maybe technically you're a Christian, you know, maybe all of that, maybe you'll get to heaven, but like, we're the real Christians. Like, yeah, you're Christians, but we're the real Christians. Now, I don't know a lot of conflicts in our culture, current day, in the church or in culture, wherever that are centered around the mosaic law i don't think there's a lot of conflict that's going on probably you've not dealt with a lot of conflict going on about the mosaic law and i'm pretty sure the last time i heard the word gentile in a normal conversation was never like never like i've never heard anyone go hey i was hanging out with some gentiles or kind of struggling with the Gentiles out there. I've had some conflicts with the Gentiles. Like that's just not normal language but there are a lot of other good things in our culture that have become a dividing wall of hostility in the culture and in the church. Sex was created by God to be a good thing. 
but it has become a dividing wall of hostility. Maleness and femaleness was created by God to be a good thing, but it has become a dividing wall of hostility. This beautiful mosaic of racial and ethnic diversity was created by God to be a good thing, but it has become a dividing wall of hostility. Compassionate care for the sick, people giving their lives to to deal with illnesses and diseases and to try to figure things out and all of that is a good thing, but it's become a dividing wall of hostility. The laws that govern us as a society are a good thing. They are intended to prevent anarchy. They are intended to promote justice. They're a good thing, but they've become a dividing wall of hostility. So how do those dividing walls, like this is the question, right? How do those dividing walls of hostility get broken down? How do those dividing walls of hostility get torn down? And let me just mention some things. These are, this isn't like, comprehensive list, all the things, easy to do, all that, but just some things that maybe are like starting points for us as we think about what does it mean to live out this supernatural community that we have been called to. The first thing is I think it begins with an attitude of repentance. Repentance is that, just the idea of repentance biblically is, the, is that repentance sets us free to live out the vision that God has for our lives. It's what sets us free to live out the vision God has for the church, what it has for our lives individually, all of that. It acknowledges where we've fallen short and it moves us in a different direction, in the direction that God wants to move us. And when it comes to living out the unity that God desires in the church, sometimes there are things that we need to just step back and repent of. And one of the things I did just in preparation for this message is I just wrote out just a prayer of repentance. And I just want to kind of pray the prayer of repentance. And, and wherever, you know, whatever connects to you, let it, let it connect. And maybe there'll be a lot of areas of repentance. You go, I don't need to repent over that. Like, I don't feel like that's true in my life. Or there may be one area or two areas where you go, yeah, I feel like maybe I need to do some work on that or maybe several areas. I, I will just say, if I read this whole prayer of repentance and you go, I don't think I need to repent of anything. Probably you're just in denial, okay? Can I just say that? That probably it's just like, mm, yeah, maybe there's some things uh, that are going on. So let me just pray this prayer. But just let it, let it bathe, wash over you and wherever it connects in your life, let it, let it connect. God, we repent of being quick to speak and slow to listen instead of slow to speak and quick to listen. God, we repent of jumping to conclusions too quickly. We repent of putting people in categories. We repent of not asking more questions and trying to understand why someone thinks the way that they think. We repent of always needing to be right and always needing to convince others that they're wrong. We repent of moralizing all of our differences. God, we repent of allowing a political party or an issue or a position or a person or anything else to become more important to us than Jesus. We repent of letting our views shape our understanding of Jesus rather than letting our 
understanding of Jesus shape our views. God, we repent of not being the supernatural community of radical unity that you've called us to be. We repent of sometimes not looking very different than the culture around us. Amen. Second thing is this, is that we need to embrace a spirit of humility. Just, just a spirit of humility as we're dealing with differences and challenges and people that think different, all that, just like how we navigate that, how do we live out this unity that God's, just a spirit of humility. And I think that's the point of the parable Jesus told in Luke 18. And I just want to read the parable. It said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. Not that, it's not that they weren't righteous, it's just that they were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else Jesus told this parable. He crafted this parable for people who were confident in their own righteousness. And this is the parable he says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you. And you think, well, that's a good way to start a prayer, like the, you know, gratitude. I thank you. But look what he thinks. I thank you that I am not like other men robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector who is standing right over here praying as well. God, thank you so much that I'm not like this tax collector. I just want to say it a little louder. God, thank you so much that I'm not like this tax collector who's right here, that I give a tenth of everything that I get. I fast twice a week. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance he wouldn't even look up at heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone, wow, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Yeah. So I think maybe like there's a lot of modern day fill in the blank that we could do with this prayer of like, thank you that I'm not like that. But I think maybe one of the modern day versions of the Pharisees prayer would probably be kind of like, God, I thank you that I'm not a Democrat like this person over here. Or I thank you that I'm not a Republican like this person over here. I just thank you. I just thank you that I'm not like that person. It's so easy. And there's so many other things you can fill in the blank and put there. It's just so easy to develop a spirit of superiority and look down on people who don't think like we think or process the way that we process or see things the way that we see them or behave the way that we behave or whatever it is. It's just so easy to develop a spirit of superiority. And what Jesus is saying to us, I think is this, don't become, because it's a prayer of confidence, right? He's saying, I'm giving this parable to those who have become so confident in their righteousness. He's not saying the righteousness isn't good. He's just saying have become so confident in their righteousness. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is don't become so confident that you've got everything figured out 
that you're on the right side of every issue, that the people who don't see things exactly the same way that you see them are so out to lunch that you develop this spirit of pride. Because that will not only negatively impact your relationship with God, it will build a dividing wall of hostility between you and other believers who are just as committed to Jesus as you are, but see things a little differently than you see them. You know, sometimes, and I said this in the prayer of repentance, sometimes we moralize every difference, like every difference. And, and there are differences, like we make every difference a difference of right and wrong. And there are, there are differences that are about right and wrong, but some differences are just differences. Like they reflect different ways to advance the kingdom, different ways to make the world a better place, different ways to live in obedience to God's calling. So embrace a spirit of humility as you walk out your faith. I think that's what Jesus is saying there. Thirdly, lead into your new identity that is in Christ. We talk a lot about identity around this place and, and the reason we talk about it so much is because it's so central to like what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to walk that out and what it means as a church is like identity, identity, identity. And, and, and if you don't lean into the new identity that is yours in Christ, you will lean into other things. Other things will become your identity. Look again at verse 16. It says, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them, talking about Jews and Gentiles, the people are having conflicts, reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death, talking about Jesus, which Jesus on the cross put to death their hostility. That what Jesus did on the cross is in, it, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't uh, sin on the cross, but he became sin we're told. Jesus wasn't hostile on the cross, but he became hostility. Like he died, he put to death the brokenness that is reflected in us. Like that's why the cross and what he's done on the cross is so important. And one of the things he did is he put to death this hostility that tends to create a dividing wall of hostility between groups and between people. Samir uh, Salibi is our church planting pastor in Paris. And you know, we've talked a lot about Samir and this amazing church that he started uh, now almost five years ago, uh, coming up on the five-year anniversary that's called At Home. And it's a church of, uh, and if you've heard us talk about it, it's a church uh, of refugees, um, made up of refugees for refugees. And, and, and it's amazing the things that God is doing in the church. And I, I mentioned last fall, I think, when I had just gotten back from a meeting there that they have rented this amazing story, miraculous story, how they got this beautiful home in the center of Paris uh, that was a miracle in and of itself, renting this home um, so that refugees can not only have a place to, to live, but, but also can be a part of a Christian community and live out their faith. And so all of the refugees that are in the home uh, and the folks that are in the home have come to Christ. They've made this decision that they, they have become followers of Jesus and they all come from different religious backgrounds, but they have come 
to, to become followers of Jesus Christ. And now they're living together in this house. And the house has six people now living in that are from six different countries. And, and the countries are Iraq, Iran, Kuwait, Egypt, Colombia, and the United States. Boy, they have a lot in common, right? So those are the six countries that are in, that are represented in the house. And I was just in the house this week, Josh Falk, uh, and I uh, traveled for a meeting that I have to, uh, twice a year with at home and with Samir. And we were in this home, which is just amazing to be. God's vision for the church is being lived out there. It is this, it is this supernatural community of radical unity. Uh, there are people living in this house that because of their profound cultural differences and in many cases, nationalistic hostilities, would, would never hang out together, much less live together and share a house together. And yet here they are developing these deep soul connections with each other. They can look at someone who's from an entirely different culture and an entirely different worldview who thinks about almost everything in a different way than they think about things and say, this is my best friend. This has become my best friend. Now, how does that happen? Jesus, that's how that happens. Like Jesus is how that happens. Because Jesus has reconciled all of them to God through the cross and put to death any hostility that would divide them. They are not one in the world. In the world, very different. But they are one in Christ. Their identity in Christ, this is it. Their identity in Christ supersedes their cultural identities and their nationalistic identities and their political identities. They are a follower of Jesus before they are anything else. And that's the deal. Like when you become a Christian, all of your differences with other Christians don't like magically go away. Like you don't, there's not like this sameness. Unity is not about sameness. There's not this sameness that develops just because you become a follower of Jesus. The Jews and the Gentiles in the first century didn't stop being Jews and Gentiles. It's just that their new identity in Christ superseded their Jewness and their Gentileness. And when you become a Christian, your, your racial identity doesn't magically go away. Your gender doesn't magically go away. Your unique personality and temperament doesn't magically go away. Your political leanings don't magically go away. But what does happen is that all of those identities, all of those things, they get like in a major way, they get demoted. They become subservient to the identity that is yours in Christ. Can I get an amen for that? And that not only changes you, it changes the way you deal with people who are different than you. In the church and outside of the church. Like you become this agent for peace and reconciliation wherever you go. Fourth thing is this, last thing. Allow the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. Look at verse 22 again, in him. You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his, his spirit. 
His spirit lives and dwells within us and within the church. Like if you listen to this message and you're feeling maybe, I don't know, a little overwhelmed, like feeling like you often fall incredibly short of being an agent of peace and reconciliation in the world. In fact, you maybe feel like sometimes it's hard to even be an agent for peace and reconciliation in your own family at times. Like it's just like hard. It's just hard to do that. Like just, I just want you to hear that you are not alone. That all of us feel that way at times. All of us struggle with this. I struggle with this. Maybe most of the times I struggle with this. Like it's just, it's, it's hard to live out this community that God has called us to be. And that's the reason that the church, like I use that word intentionally, that's the reason that the church is a supernatural community because to live out the radical unity that we've been called to takes a supernatural power that's at work in our lives. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us and not just living and dwelling within us individually but living and dwelling within us as a as a body like the whole church that's what Paul is saying is that the spirit doesn't just live in you personally in Rod personally like the spirit lives in us communally as a community like the whole church is this thing that God is building that his spirit just lives and dwells in and that's so that's so important because when the spirit is dwelling it's so important because we need each other folks like we need each other to live this out because when the spirit is dwelling in the church it makes it easier for the spirit to dwell in us in me when we're surrounded by repentant humble christ-centered spirit-filled believers it makes it easier for us to be a repentant humble christ-centered spirit-filled believer all of which means we cannot do this alone. We need each other. We need to be surrounded by people who give us grace. <laughs> oh man. I think about how much grace I have been given by people in the body of Christ, my life. I think about being a part of this congregation for all of these years and the grace, the grace, the grace that has been extended to me, the love that has been extended and the grace that gets extended to each other and the love that no matter what, like no matter what it is that you, you think or the way you process or whatever it is, like there's this love and there's this grace that's extended, like that's when the Spirit of God lives and dwells within us and within each of us. This is, this is my prayer. This is our prayer. God, make us, make Fairfax a supernatural community of radical unity the likes of which the world has never seen make us different than this divided culture 
so you can use us to transform this divided culture. You can't be used by God to transform culture if you look just like culture. It's being different than culture by the power of his spirit and through what he's done for us on the cross, it's being different than culture that positions us to be used by God to transform culture. And that's why we exist. That's why the church is here to be the transformative power of God in the midst of culture. May we never lose our voice. May we never lose the position that God has given us to be the transformative force that our culture so desperately needs. Let's pray together. God, Lord, we, I, repent of the times and the situations where I have allowed something to become a dividing wall of hostility between myself and someone else. Lord, I pray that you would humble all of us, that we would always be so radically dependent upon you that there is no confidence that we have. Our confidence is in you and not in ourselves. May Jesus be at the center of everything. May everything we do, may all of it become subservient to Jesus. And may your spirit just dwell within us as a church and individually. And Lord, I just pray a special prayer today for someone who may be in these blue seats or watching online, worshiping with us online, who is not yet in Christ. I pray that today would be the day that they say yes to what you've done for them on the cross. Today would be the day that they experience salvation. Today would be the day that they become a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. That they become a part of the family of God. That they become a block that you are using to build this holy thing called the church. And we pray this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise offering today?